It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Welcome, friends, to Bible Answers Live. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? All right, listen up. About four hours north of Sydney in Australia, in a national park, a fire is smoldering out of control, and it's been doing so for thousands of years. Known as Burning Mountain, the mysterious underground blaze is the oldest known continuous fire on the planet. Located under Mount Wingan in the state of New South Wales, Wingan means fire in the language of the local Aborigines. This underground smolder is a coal seam fire, one of thousands burning around the globe. Once ignited, these subterranean fires are almost impossible to put out. Slowly but intensely, they travel like a burning fuse through the coal seam, which is a layer of coal that naturally occurs beneath the Earth's surface. No one knows whether it was humans or lightning that first ignited the mountain fire the Mount Wingan fire. Experts estimate the fire is about the size of a ball, 20 to 30 feet in diameter, about 100 feet underground, and it reaches temperatures of 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Because the fire lacks adequate ventilation, it burns very slowly, advancing at a speed of about 3 feet per year, more like embers in a barbecue than a typical coal fire. If you visit the National Park, only current evidence that you'll see now is some smoke and white ash, ground that's warm to the touch, barren red rocks void of plants, and a sulfuric smell emitted as the fire below cooks the minerals of the mountain. You know, friends, there are many Christians that believe that God has an eternal place of burning, and we're going to talk about that tonight on Bible Answers Live. We're so glad that you're here, and you're going to hopefully participate, tell your friends to participate, call in with your Bible questions. Pastor Ross is off tonight, so I, along with our engineering team in the studio, we're going to be taking your live Bible questions. And before we do, we're going to have prayer as we always do. Loving Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and blessings. We thank you for the blessed book, the Bible, that guides us. You've said that thy word is truth, Lord, and we pray that the truth will set us free be with us tonight in every aspect of this program. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have any Bible questions, either on the uh, subject I just mentioned or on any Bible topic we're talking about living the Christian life, give us a call. Here's the phone number, 800-GOD-SAYS. That's 800-463-7297. Let me say it again for those who may be driving. 800-463-7297 with your Bible questions. We also do offer sometimes free offers. Well, not sometimes, every program we offer free offers. And that's a different number that takes you to operators that will take your request for the free Bible study material. Now, I asked the question, there are many Christians who believe that God has a place of eternal burning. Um, 
Does the Bible teach that? We've got a lesson that's going to talk about that tonight. It's called, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? But let me give you just a couple of uh, verses that address that subject. There are two extremes when it comes to the subject of hell. One extreme is some people say there is no punishment of the wicked, and some believe everyone's going to be saved. It's sort of a universalism. Then there's those who have people writhing in sulfur and brimstone through endless ages and a billion years go by and they're still screaming in agony, burning all over their bodies and they've only begun after a billion years. Just imagine burning through eternity. Then there's a Bible teaching that the wicked are cast into the lake of fire and burnt up. Every man is punished according to what he deserves but they're ultimately consumed. The Bible says that the fire comes down out of heaven, Revelation chapter 2, and it devours them. They are consumed. Look at uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day comes as an oven, and the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, the proud and the wicked, will be stubble, and the day that is coming will burn them up, says the Lord. It'll leave them neither root nor branch, saying that the root, the branch, burnt up, the wicked are stubble, they're devoured. The Bible tells us the meek will inherit the earth. The saved are not going to be looking at a torture chamber through eternity of lost people barbecuing, if you will. And uh, there is a place where the wicked are burned. Jesus is clear. He says that um, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but he can't touch your soul, but fear him who can destroy soul and body in hell. So both the body and the soul are ultimately destroyed in the lake of fire. People are going to be punished according to what they deserve. And there are varying works, not only for the wicked, there are varying rewards, I should say, not only for the wicked, but for the righteous. If you want to know more about that subject and what the Bible actually teaches, and this lesson is filled with scripture, they're going to put that up on the screen for you again. It's called, Is the Devil in Charge of Hell? If you want a copy of that, then you can call our resource number, 800-835-6747, 800-835-6747. Uh, we are broadcasting tonight not only on Amazing Facts Television, we are on the Amazing Facts Facebook page, the YouTube page, the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, and uh, you can watch as well as listen. And uh, again, call in with your questions, 800-463-7297 for your Bible questions. With that, I see that uh, we've got a couple people that have called in. We have some lines open. Great time to call in with your Bible questions. And we're going to talk to uh, Daryl, who is calling from Arizona. I clicked it. There he is. Daryl, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Yeah. My question is, if he conceived once in chapter 4 mm -hmm. and verse two, 1 and 2, it, doesn't that infer that Abel was a twin to Cain? You know, I've heard people say that, but it doesn't always give the um, it doesn't always give the age of the secondborn. For example, it tells us that Noah had Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and it doesn't imply they're triplets. Typically, in the Bible, in the case of like Perez and Zerah or Jacob and Esau, it tells you when they're twins. And so, because Cain is mentioned first and says the Lord has given me a man-child, I think he was the firstborn. Abel was his younger brother. He came second. So, yeah, even in the case if he was a twin, 
he would be the younger brother and came second. Well, technically, you're right. That, that's true. I, but um, usually if, if uh, they had twins, it's hard to imagine. Twins are rare. It's kind of hard to imagine that Eve's first child would be twins. But, and, uh, but when, when she names Cain, she kind of names him exclusively. I've gotten a man of, from the Lord, she says. And so she's treating it like an individual event. Right. So I don't think they were twins, but they certainly were brothers. And of course, that was very sad that uh, Cain rose up and took his brother's life. And the Bible says the blood of Abel, his brother, cried to the Lord. Then Jesus, when he talked about the punishment that was coming on Jerusalem, he said the blood of righteous Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, will be demanded of that generation. So uh, there is vengeance that comes from God when innocent blood is spilled. All right, we're going to talk to Anthony, and that frees up another line. Again, if you want to call in with your Bible questions, that number 800-GOD-SAYS, 800-463-7297. Anthony is calling from New York. Anthony, you're on the air. Uh, good evening, Pastor Doug. Evening. So uh, my question um, is uh, based on two verses, Genesis chapter you still, uh, go ahead. Is the first one. And, yeah, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and the key part that I want to focus on, and live forever. And then the second verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, where it says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And so my question is, what is the purpose of this tree of life that it was talking about in Genesis chapter 3? Uh, what is the purpose of the tree of life in heaven if we're going to be immortal? You know, that's a great question. Um, some people say, well, it sounds like that the tree itself has something to do with our living forever. And yet so many other scriptures, you mentioned one in 1 Corinthians, sound like eternal life is a gift that God just weaves into our very being in the um, in the new earth and in the you know resurrection so if we fail to eat from the tree of life will we begin to atrophy and ultimately die um you know it almost makes it sound like that the, the tree of life in in one sense is going to be a symbol of jesus and through believing in jesus and accepting him we have eternal life christ is you know he died on a tree and he says my body is food and my blood is drink and not that you know we're little literally to turn into cannibals but uh, Christ is the tree of life and so I think that that when we eat from the fruit of the tree of life it'll probably be vitalizing in some way but I think eternal life is a gift that God gives us ultimately and if we happen to get stuck in some far corner of the cosmos and couldn't get back to the tree I don't think we'd die I think that God sustains us so uh, hopefully that makes sense. As, you know, now I'm delving into some of the mysteries. Uh, do you have uh, one more quick question, Anthony? Yes, uh, this one is quick. Um, uh, you know, you hear quips and quotes a lot of times that we say, but it's not really in the Bible. Uh, we hear this uh, quote that says, uh, God helps those that helps themselves. Yeah. Is that biblical? Well, that's actually a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Um, I do think it's biblical. It is a biblical truth in that, you know, God will tell us what to do. And as we make an effort, as we make a human effort to do what God tells us to do, he then works miracles. So <laughs> I know an old uh, 
Christian that used to say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And of course, he, he's teasing, saying that actually putting in human effort makes you successful. Um, God told the disciples, I want you to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they were rowing and they came into a storm and they, they weren't making any progress. And the Bible says that Jesus came to them while they were rowing. So they were doing what they could humanly do. And then he got in the boat and instantly, John chapter 6, they were at their destination. So I do think that um, uh, the Lord blesses tenacity. The Lord blesses diligence. There's Proverbs that talk about that. So the principle is true, even though that statement is actually Ben Franklin from Poor Richard's Almanac. Hey, thank you, Anthony. Appreciate your questions. And that does open another line. If you have a Bible question, 800-463-7297. Just before we go to our next call, quick announcement, friends. Something very exciting is coming up this weekend. We're going to be broadcasting from the Amazing Facts Word Center a special series dealing with Revelation chapter 14, what they call the Three Angels' Messages. And that's what goes to the world just before Jesus returns in Revelation 14. He's pictured coming in the clouds. Just before he comes in the clouds, there's these three angelic messages that go to the world. We are having a weekend symposium, an Amazing Facts Summit, and it's called Revelation's Final Warning. And if you'd like to participate in that, it'll be streaming online. It'll be on Amazing Facts Television. And it's going to be January 14th through 16th. It'll be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, a number of special speakers are going to be there, uh, myself and uh, several others, Pastor Ross, Carlos Munoz, John Lomacain, Dwayne Lemon, Daniel Hudgens, and they're going to be taking these different aspects of the Three Angels message. You will be inspired. If you're looking for something to revive and inspire you, then go to the Amazing Facts website. You'll find more information on how you can either attend in person to, to here at the Word Center in Northern California, or you can watch online. And so be, uh, look up that information on Revelation's final warning. All right, with that, we're going to go to Michael. Thank you for your patience, Michael. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor Doug. Thanks for taking my question. Yes, sir. My question uh, is regarding Daniel's, the kingdoms of Daniel 626 and 244. And if those are the same, will will the kingdom of Daniel 244 last unto the end? Will it also last unto the end without being destroyed? Well, in Daniel 6, we're talking about Daniel in the lion's den. And so you, did you mean Daniel 6? Yeah, 626. Okay, so that's talking about, uh, let me go here real quick. Um, yeah, and this is the kingdom of Persia. That is not the last kingdom that you find mentioned in Daniel. Well, the kingdom of God is in Daniel 6.26. And I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, this is Darius's decree, he's the king of Persia, Medo-Persia. He says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Oh, I see what you're talking about, yeah. And steadfast forever, his kingdom is the one that will not be destroyed, his dominion shall endure to the end. That kingdom, yes, is the God's kingdom that lasts forever. Yeah, and if that's same as Daniel 2.44, will Daniel 2.44 also last unto the end without being destroyed? Well, it's Christ's kingdom is the one, yeah, that's the same kingdom. I'm reading Daniel 2.44, and in the days of these kings, God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So the kingdom that does not fall is God's kingdom. It lasts forever. Right. 
sounds like when it says it'll last unto the end that it's a contemporaneous kingdom to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, and that it will last forever, not be destroyed. Yeah, so you'll see you're actually on to the main theme of the book of Daniel. You can see in Daniel chapter 2, in Daniel chapter 3, in Daniel chapter 4, I'm doing it in my mind right now, Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar Feast, Daniel 6, Daniel and the Lions, then Daniel 7 with the visions of the um, the lion and the bear and uh, the leopard, and then you go to uh, Daniel 8 where you get the vision of the goat and the ram. All of those visions talk about the kingdom, and it's the earthly kingdoms that are at war with God's kingdom. It's kind of like the curse that you see happening there in, Re in Genesis chapter 3 where it talks about the the um, enmity that would exist between the serpent, the kingdoms of this world, and the woman, mm -hmm. God's church. But yeah, and it ultimately the message of Daniel is that God's kingdom will destroy every other kingdom. But I thank you for that. And we do have a, um, we've got a study guide on Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 2. If you uh, look in the um, historicals of prophecy, we've got one called the Millennial Man that talks about those earthly kingdoms. Thank you, Michael. We're going to move on here and talk next to um, David calling from California somewhere. David, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Good evening, Pastor Doug. Evening. My question, my question is, when Mary birthed Jesus, did he receive her DNA? So if you had poked Jesus in the finger with a pen, he would bleed. And I expect that his blood would have had um, testimony that um, he was related to Mary physically. I think so. Yeah, because Jesus, you know, as a baby, it says he became a man. He was born. And there as a fetus, as he grew in her womb, he was receiving blood and nourishment from her body. There would have been evidence. Now, you know, they say in DNA, you got your mitochondrial DNA, the mother's DNA. The question would be, what would the father's DNA have looked like? So uh, that's something of a mystery. <laughs> But yeah, he, yes, he, he def definitely had, uh, I you know, he was human. I think he probably had some Thank you. visual similarities to Mary as well. Thanks for your question, David. Appreciate your patience. And uh, talking next with Wayne. Wayne is calling from Idaho. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Thanks, Pastor Doug. Thank you. Um, looking at Genesis 20, and I'm seeing where Abraham and Sarah lied to Abimelech. And I uh, said, tell her, you know, tell him that you're my sister, so I'll be spared. Yes. In verse 16, after it's all said and done and, and God has revealed to him, Abimelech says that uh, in verse 16, that it says, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee. What does that mean? Yeah, and I think some versions say a veil. Uh, Abimelech is, he's being a little sarcastic. You see, Abraham, he's supposed to have this great faith in God, and yet he doesn't trust that God's going to protect him from the, the Philistines. And he said, your sister, he, he, by this point, he knows that she's his wife. And so he says, your sister. Um, and then he says that this will be a veil. Now, when a woman was unmarried, she was supposed to wear a veil. And, uh, when Sarah went to dwell among the Philistines, I'm not so sure that she was veiled. He says, "Look, if you know, if you're worried about, if you're worried about other men looking at her and thinking she's so beautiful, they're going to kill you for your wife. Maybe you should put a veil on her." 
<laughs> so there's I think there's sort of a little sarcastic message that Abimelech is telling Abraham in this. It's funny you should mention this. I just I read through the Bible every year. I read this story this morning. So um yeah, it's God works in amazing ways. Yeah, exactly. It's, it was fresh in my mind. Hey, thanks so much, Wayne. Appreciate your question. You have a good Thank night. Bye-bye. All right, they're going to talk next with Austin. Austin from North Carolina. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Oh, hello, Pastor Doug. So nice to speak with you. Sure, missing Pastor Ross. Yes, I will. I'll, <laughs> I'll pass that all. I'll let them know. My question um, is about Genesis chapter 9, um, verses 22 through 27. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand um, the, the brothers... Um, that, uh, you know, Noah's sons, the sons of Noah's, Ham, Shem, and Jepheth, and then Ham had a son, Canaan. And I know there was an incident where the um, uh, the, the first brother, uh, Ham, went in and saw his father yes. uncovered, and he came out, and then the other guys went in, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it's because they turned away with respect that they were, you know, proper in that. My question really, Pastor, is, uh, verse 27, when um, it talks about how um, Canaan is the one um, that's that cursed. cursed be Canaan, and he would be the servant to all the brothers. And I'm just, I just don't understand why he, as the son, he's not mentioned as doing anything at all in the story. And I know we're not supposed to have the sins of our fathers, right? So that was confusing to me. Yeah. Could you explain that? You know, evidently, wh- what happened, it says Noah drank wine and he became intoxicated. I'm not sure that they understood the full effects of what that would do back then. And he was stumbling around in his tent and he was naked. Ham went in, probably with his son, who would have been younger. And, uh, you know, at this point, they had, had uh, been out of the ark for some time because Noah is now farming. And, um, and Ham, instead of saying, oh, this isn't good, let's cover Grandpa up. They walk out of the tent, and Canaan begins to mock Grandpa that was stumbling around drunk and showing great disrespect for, you know, his elders. And so um, a curse came from Noah upon him and his descendant, Canaan, who I think was with his father when he went in. I see. So, or his father maybe came out and told Canaan what happened, and Canaan began to mock him among the, the clan and the tribe. So um, uh, the curse fell on him. How do you, like, how would I have learned that without asking you, I mean? <laughs> well, I, I didn't get it through a dream. I actually read commentaries and some other good Bible scholars. Yeah, they, you, you look in some, and they're free. Many of them are free now. You can go uh-huh. online and you type in this verse and you'll see some of the great commentaries of the Protestant oh, reformers. Very well. These guys read Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And they'll also read... You know, some of the other Hebrew writers give a- additional insight on these things because some of it is cultural. They understood that um, it would only have uh-huh. mentioned him, but Canaan must have participated in the bad behavior. Thank you so very much. Now I can move on. All right, good. <laughs> Sounds like you're reading through your Bible. That's right. All right, good for you. Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank Bye-bye you, Austin. Now. Appreciate your question. And uh, yeah, if you want to call in with your Bible questions, we still got uh, the best part of the program to go. Call 800-463-7297, 800-463-7297. All right, we're going to talk next with Lynn, who's calling from Pennsylvania. Lynn, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Well, hello, Pastor Doug. Hi. Um, 
There's something that's got my curiosity going for quite a while. Um, when you read Revelation chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, and then you go on and you read Revelation chapter 5, 1 all the way through 7, mm-hmm. my question is, when John is taken up um, by the Spirit into heaven, and he sees on the throne, um, heaven, one that sits in sat on the throne mm-hmm. and he describes them, then I'm thinking is, you, supposedly nobody has ever seen God the Father, mm-hmm. but then it says in chapter 5 that the one that sits on the throne has the book written, and then how John weeps because no um, man can open the no book. No man was found worthy, right. And then he hands the book to um, the Lamb, so is that the father, God the Father that John is seeing in this vision? or And then he does see Jesus take the from the right hand of he who sits on the throne. So that would be God the Father and Jesus, wouldn't it? Yep, I think it is God the Father. But you notice, um, I don't think he's seeing the full glory of God's face there. Moses asked, he said, Lord, can I see your glory? God says, yes, I'll, I'll let you see my glory, but you can't look on my face and live. And so... I, you know, when God uh, gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, um, his glory was veiled in thunder and clouds, and no man could look upon it. So, and then the Bible says, no man hath seen the Father. Now, we will ultimately see God, because one of the last things it says in Revelation, it says, and we will see his face. Blessed are, you know, blessed are the pure in, in spirit, they will see. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. In our sinful condition, we can't do that. And keep in mind, John is seeing these things in vision. He's probably not literally. So, you know, the Lord may have veiled or blurred the glory of God to some extent so he could see it. But that must have been God the Father because you, then you, he's giving the book to God the Son. Right. And, and he describes, oh, so he must be describing the throne and not because he said that he that sat was to look upon like Jasper. Yeah. Now, do you know, if you look in uh, Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to have to cut off our break here in just a minute, but I just want you to notice, Lynn, that in Daniel 7, it talks about the Father and the Son. It says, I saw one like the Ancient of Days. And then you go to verse 11, and one like the Son of Man comes before him. So, um, yeah, sorry, verse 13. I was watching, behold, one like the Son of Man came before him. So, Revelation is very much like an echo of the book of Daniel, so you're seeing both there. Thank you, Lynn, very much for your question. And the listening friends, we're going to be back in just a moment. I want to remind you that uh, we are having a special program beginning this Friday evening. It'll go January 14th through the 16th called Revelation's Final Warning. And if you'd like to participate in that, all you've got to do is uh, go to the Amazing Facts website. You'll see a banner there. talks about Revelation's Final Warning. And... Uh, You can participate in that program. You can come in person if you're in the area, or you can view it online, Amazing Facts TV or Facebook page. Taking our midterm break, so to speak, we'll be back with questions in just a moment. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. Amazing Facts offers some of the best Christian resources for all ages. We hope our products will enrich your life and your walk with the Lord. Roger Morneau. 
shares his inspiring journey from being caught up in the terrifying world of the occult to his rescue through divine intervention. Get yours today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Hello, friends. Pastor Doug Batchelor here with Amazing Facts. When Susan's and Michael's whirlwind relationship led to a wedding, they had no idea how hard married life could be. Before they knew it, they were on the stormy path towards divorce. But that's when God led them to an Amazing Facts broadcast. And there they saw the biblical view of marriage as presented in knowing Jesus. Finally, they understood what it meant to love sacrificially like Christ. And today, Susan and Michael are joyfully married, sharing what they learned with others. Now you, friend, have an opportunity to help someone today and to make an eternal difference for more people like Michael and Susan. Your simple investment of faith and amazing facts will keep growing and reaching more people with God's life-changing word. Would you prayerfully consider sending a gift today to help others know Christ and the wonderful truth that you've learned? And it's easy to make a donation. Give us a call at 877-506-1751. The number again, 877-506-1751. Or just visit give.amazingfacts.org or send your gift to P.O. Box 1058, Roseville, California, 95678. Thank you for tuning in to Bible Answers Live. And don't forget to share with others the amazing Bible facts you have learned here today. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. We are back listening, friends, to Bible Answers Live, and uh, we're going to go back to the phones here and take some questions, talking next with E. Frank. E. Frank, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Yes, uh, good evening, Pastor Doug. Um, I have a question that is always on my mind. Uh, This has to do with uh, uh, individuals, a person that I know who was um, uh, involved with... uh, uh, it's Satanism. She was a person that it, it said that she was consecrated to Jesus, and she, she could not get out of her satanic uh, cult because uh, her father was a descendant of other Satanists, and so she also informed me that she owned stock in the 19th century from a um, uh, what they call a. Um, a railway company here in New York City in the borough of Queens. So uh, I, I told her, why do you tell me that you're consecrated to Christ and you do not leave? If, if you were consecrated to Christ, and she told me also that her grandmother baptized her in Christianity. Now, my question for you, Pastor Doug, is can a person who's that way, 
they would leave the cult and automatically not lose their soul or their life and become consecrated towards Christ and become a born-again Christian and be a Bible-believing person? Yeah, you know, sometimes people think because, uh, you know, my my parents were into Satanism or you were part of a cult or you, I, you know, when I was a kid <laughs> in our family, my mother was in show business and a lot of her friends were into the occult and we used Ouija boards and they were into astrology and, and all kinds of things that are unbiblical. But, you know, when you seek after God, you're you're born again. Those old things pass away and all things are made new. So we don't need to worry about that. So I wouldn't let uh, anything like that from the past concern you. If once a person has accepted uh, Jesus, then the, the past doesn't matter at all anymore. All right, friends, we're going to go to, hopefully that helps you, Frank, with your question, talking to David in New Jersey. David, and you're welcome to the Bible Answers Live program. Good morning or afternoon or whatever time it is. I'm truck driving and uh, I'm in New Jersey. I'm from Virginia. But uh, it's so good and happy to talk with uh, you, Pastor Doug. And I was I was hoping to pa talk to Pastor Ross, too, but he's not there. So You'll have to call another um, time, too. Exactly, exactly. I just wanted to say uh, thank you for your ministry. And uh, uh, I became a Christian through your ministry and watching your um, uh, um, seminar, prophecy seminars. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, so I'm very happy. Okay, my question is, in Psalms, uh, Psalms 91, uh, verse 5 to 12, it said that, I read, as I read, that basically we'll be protected through the tribulations through those verses. Is that correct? Well, let me read this for our friends who are listening. It says that, uh, yeah, it says, You'll not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence, that word pestilence means plague, that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil will befall you, nor shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. And so God protected the children of Israel when the plagues fell on Egypt. He will protect us when the seven last plagues fall that are described in Revelation 15 and 16. And so, yes, I believe that this is a promise we can claim. Now, that does not mean, some people might think, well, Pastor Doug, does that mean that uh, I never need to take any health precautions if there's a, uh, a um, pandemic in the world? So this is not a verse for that. You know, the Bible says don't tempt the Lord. So if there's something you can do to keep yourself healthy, keep yourself healthy. But when the seven last plagues fall, these supernatural uh, plagues from God, uh, he promises to protect his people during that time. Yeah, verse 11 says, you know, the angels will take charge over us. Yes, he'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Okay, that's great. That's that's what I wanted to confirm. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, God bless. God bless. Good to talk with you, David. And be safe on the road. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Well, let's see here. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, Jemima, who's calling from Canada. Am I saying that right? Or is it yes. Jemima? Yes, and your Jemima. question. Yeah. 
Hi, Pastor Dog. Um, I just wanted to know that I was so blessed by the um, previous uh, ministry that you had, the Panorama Prophecy. Oh, and, wonderful. Um, I understand. I become. Um, I understand more about the Bible, and yeah, it's so nice, Pastor Dog. I watch from the beginning till the end. Oh, <laughs> anyway, thank you. um, thank God for your ministry. And anyway, um, my question, uh, Pastor Dog, is about from the book of Proverbs, um, of verse twenty-six. So it says here, while as yet he had not made the earth. Now you're in Proverbs um, for, chapter eight, uh, and what Proverbs verse? Chapter eight, verse you're, seven. Sorry, yeah, twenty-six to no, twenty-two to thirty actually. But I was a um, little bit um like confusion here. It says, verse twenty-seven. When he prepared the heavens, I was he set a compass upon the face of the uh, face of the. So my question, Pastor Dog, is that mean that? Um, is this mean that we were angels before, like when even when God created us? What like where are we? And it says also here from I um because somebody like you know somebody um, had like a uh, do um, Bible study with me and they they were teaching this. Um, I already was born like Solomon says, and he was in the kingdom of heaven, and they said that we no. were angels. Yeah, no, we, we we were never angels before. Let me just give you something to think about, Jemima. When you go to the beginning of chapter 8, chapter 8 is a beautiful soliloquy. It's like a poem of wisdom. These are proverbs. This is not a doctrinal discourse. It says, does wisdom cry out? Well, of course, wisdom doesn't cry. It's, wisdom's not a person. And understanding lift up her voice. She takes her stand on the top of the hill. Everything it's saying here is talking about wisdom and it's using all of these allegories and analogies. It has nothing to do with people being born. It's saying wisdom was there with God in the very beginning when he formed the earth. And that's what you're reading there from verse 27. When he prepared the heavens, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him as a master craftsman. And I, again, speaking of wisdom, was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. It's all a, a poem about wisdom, if you read from the beginning of this chapter. So the idea that this is saying that we had a pre-existence is totally unbiblical. And I'd be very careful about people you're studying with that say that you existed before you were born. It's almost like teaching a form of reincarnation. And uh, that's, that's a very unbiblical teaching. Thank you, Jemima. And, and uh, you know, if you want to know more about that, we have a lesson that talks about um, death. And the lesson on death will actually talk about preexistence a little bit. So if you want to know more that, about that, we have a lesson called Are the Dead Really Dead? And we'll send you a free copy of that. That is uh, resource number 800 Eight three five six seven four seven. All right. Thanks for Jemima's call. We're going to talk to. Um, let me see here. All right, Gibson in Australia. Gibson, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Uh, thank you. How are you, Doc? Doing really well. That's good. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Um, so my question is just in relation to Acts two seventeen. Um, so, so would you like me to read that to you? Sure. 
up, yep. Um, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, your son and your daughter shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is just: um, Does does sort of the Satan have the power um, to to give people dreams? Um, and are there any examples? Because I know throughout the Bible there's always examples of God appearing to people in dreams, angels appearing to people. Um, so I was just wondering if Satan can do that as well. Yeah, I think that most people listening, I'm expecting, Gibson, you've had this experience where you have something called a nightmare. And um, I think that in the book of Job, and, uh, you know, I remember reading it. I'm trying to remember. It talks about when the hair stood up on the on my flesh and a being went I by. I oh, see. Yeah, yeah, you're acquainted with it. But it seems like one of the one of the speakers in the book of Job talks about what is a nightmare like experience. And even in Genesis, it says that a horror of darkness came on Abraham. So um, God can certainly influence dreams. The devil, if the devil can tempt us, he can probably influence our dreams. He can put suggestions in our minds. We know that. And sometimes our dreams, most of the time, our dreams are not God or the devil. Most of the time, our dreams are our brain simply uh, rebooting, so to speak. And um, you'll be ta- dreaming about the, the things that you were doing during the day. And I know if I uh, if I play a lot of racquetball, I might even dream of it in my sleep. So <laughs> whatever... And Ecclesiastes says a dream comes through the multitude of business. So, so does that answer your question? Yes, yeah, sort of. Um, so with obviously Job, I think it's Job four fifteen. Okay. Uh, it appeared that he was awake and the spirit came over him, and um, that's all them to show whether like there's an actual example in the Bible of someone Satan actually appearing to, or giving a dream to someone. Um, you know, I can't think of any where a person has a nightmare other than, like I said, that story in uh, uh, Genesis where it says a darkness came over him. Now, I think that that darkness actually was even divinely inspired. God was about to tell Abraham that his descendants would be captive in a foreign land where they were going to be oppressed 400 years. So that even may have come from the Lord. Michael is calling from Florida. Michael, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor Doug. Hi. Hi. Yeah, so I was calling because lately I've been um, uh, well, loosely looking at um, work from different um, uh, Old Testament and New Testament scholars. And one thing I've seen um, a lot of New Testament, excuse me, Old Testament scholars say is that um, like a lot of the prophecies that are traditionally said to refer to things that are in the New Testament, you know, I say traditionally as in like in the tradition of like say Protestant churches or even, you know, in Christian churches, modern Christendom. Mm-hmm. Um, but those prophecies were actually referring to something else that was a little bit more contemporary to the time of the writers and, and blah, blah, blah. And usually when I growing up in the church, people have said that all these things have a double interpretation. They mean something toward the immediate context of that contemporary time of the writer, but they also, uh, refer to something in the future so my question is um how did we ascertain that rule that prophecies in the old testament i guess have like this double interpretation like where where do we get that rule from because to be honest sometimes it, it seems a bit 
arbitrary when we where and when we invoke that rule. And I just wanted to know how is it that we know that these prophecies um, have a double interpretation? Good, good, good question. Um, first and best and safest way to know is when the New Testament writers, Matthew, for example, often refers to an Old Testament prophecy. And uh, for instance, he talks about Rachel weeping for her children, for they are not. Well, he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy. He's applying it to the babies in Jerusalem being, uh, Bethlehem being slaughtered. But that prophecy may also apply to when the children of Israel were ransacked by the Babylonians. Um, you have the story of Jonah. Jonah, Jesus said, is a sign. Now, Jesus is a good authority. You'd agree, I'm sure. Jesus said Jonah is a sign of him. No sign will be given of the Son of Man but Jonah. Well, Jonah was also a sign of the Jewish nation. They all viewed it that way, that they looked like they were done for when they were carried off to Babylon, and yet they came out alive. Uh, so they kind of saw them as because of their rebellion, because they did not prophesy to the pagan nations that they went through a terrible storm and because um, they were neglecting their duty. But um, the other sailors on the boat and the Ninevites were saved through Jonah. The world is saved through the Jewish nation delivering the scriptures. But Jonah was a reluctant prophet. And the Jews often uh, were stiff-necked. So Christians and Jews have seen a dual application in Jonah. Let me give you the best example in the Bible, one of the best, I think. In First Chronicles chapter 17, David is thinking about building a temple for the Lord. And first Nathan the prophet says, go for it, God is with you. Then God says, go tell Nathan, you are not to build the temple, but your son is to build it. Now here's the verse. If you go to First Chronicles chapter 17 and you start with... Um, Oh, let's see here. Verse 11. And it will be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, meaning you die, that I'll set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons. I will establish his kingdom. He will build me a house. I will establish his throne forever. Now, is that a prophecy about Solomon who did build the temple, the son of David? Or is that a prophecy about Jesus, the son of David, who said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up? Or is it both? See, I think this is a great case where you can argue easily, but certainly Solomon, David was thinking about a literal temple, and Solomon did build the temple that David was praying about. But Jesus is really the son of David who built up the house of God. We are the household of God. We are the body of Christ. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the hard part of your question is you said, what is the rule? So you know, how do you discern, so it's not arbitrary, I, you know, I think the best thing is you just look at the context. The best thing is if you can find a New Testament writer who gives a secondary application, then that would be, that'd be I think, the, the best way to know. Um, so, you know, God says, I'm going to send a prophet like Elijah. Jesus then says, that was John the Baptist. But then Jesus also says, John did come and Elijah did come and Elijah will come. Jesus said that's a dual prophecy. Not only did Elijah come again, the spirit and power of Elijah was on John the Baptist, Christ said, and he will come, meaning before the second coming, there's going to be another Elijah message that will go. So when you find a New Testament support, 
then that's the best way to know, well, they're using two applications for that one prophecy. But there's other places where I think it's obvious, like the one I read in Chronicles. So I know, deep, deep subject, I, there's no easy answer for that. That's a great question. All right, thank you, Michael. Appreciate your call. Let me see here. Oh, talk to Matthew in Canada. Matthew, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Doug. Thanks for having me. Yes. Question. Before Jesus comes, how many generations will he allow to be living on earth? Or how many generations will one experience? Well, when you Jesus say generation, comes? are you talking about like um, 40 years? The Bible kind of tells us 40 years. Yes, according to... Yes, according to the Bible, forty makes a generation. So how many of those will anyone experience? How many of those between the first coming and the? Will, will anyone experience four or five? Oh well, no, it's already been clearly more than four or five generations since Jesus' first coming. Is that what you're asking? So I'm saying, will any one individual experience four or five generations? No, not too many people. I think the most is uh, three gener. Well, you know, some people live and see their great-grandchildren. Uh, a couple of rare individuals have seen great-great-grandchildren. But uh, it, I still don't know if I'm answering your question. No, I want to know how many generations will there ever be before Jesus comes the second time? You know, no man knows the day or the hour, Matthew, of Christ's coming. So, you know, we don't know how many generations. Jesus said... This generation will not pass away till these things being fulfilled. He was talking about the destruction of the temple. That happened 40 years after Christ's prediction. So that was one generation, just as Jesus said, this generation would not pass away. How many generations from the first coming to the second coming, the Bible does not reveal. So I hope that helps a little bit. All right, let's see here. Um, uh, Look, and I got a couple... Time for a couple more questions. Josiah in New York, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Are you there? Sometimes people mute their phones. Josiah, you are on the air. There you go. Good evening. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Thank you for calling. Yes, I have a question based on the book of Revelation, the first chapter, verse 13 to 15. Okay. The Bible is clearly stated that Jesus is a dark-skinned man. So why is the church portraying Christ as a white-skinned man? Well, here it says he's got skin like bronze. So are you wondering about what the what the ethnic color of Jesus' skin is in, in Revelation? The heart of my question is, why do religion pushes that Jesus is a uh, so-called white man when the Bible teaches that he's a dark-skinned man? Are, well, Jesus was a Jew. Do you have any problem with that? I have no problem with that. But the, the, the Jews of today is not the Jews of when Christ walked around the earth. Well, there's no question that, uh, you know, the Jewish people over the ages, they've been scattered around the world. There's probably been some mixing. Um, but, and, you know, by the way, I'm half Jewish anyway. My mother was Jewish. But uh, what? But the, the Bible does not dictate um, your Jew by your mother. The by, when you go to the book of Num- the Numbers 1, verse 18, it says you are a Jew by, by your father. That's the reason today you don't have a tribe of Dana. What makes a person a Jew today? According to the Bible, what makes a person a Jew? They have to come from 
because the the term Jew is from the from the tribe Judah. Well, I mean, doesn't the doesn't Paul say that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed? And doesn't the Bible say that he is not a Jew that is one outwardly; he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Yeah, but when you go on on down in in, in the book of Galatians, Paul explained to you who are the Jews. He never deviates from the true Jews. Is a person saved? Now, again, I want to reiterate that uh, I come from a Jewish background, but I don't believe a person is saved because of their blood. God is no respecter of persons. Do you believe that a person is saved because they're Jewish or because they have faith? Yes. Yes, God is a respectable person because when you go in the book of Roman, the ninth chapter, verse 18, God says, um, Jacob that I love, Esau that I hate. So that's a respectable person, meaning God hates a, a, a particular group of people. And my other question to you, who is Esau today? Because everybody wants to be Jacob. Who is Esau today? And why the church is not teaching the biblical nationality? Well, first, the, the, verse, the, the, the verse that you quoted there, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated, he's talking about Israel I loved and the Edomites I hated because of the decisions. So who are the Edomites? Well, it's because of the decisions that Esau made to go after the, uh, the, the beans instead of the birthright. And so if... No, that's, that's, not, that's not what the verse said. When you read, well, no, that's, what, read Genesis, upper, that's uh, what Genesis says. Yeah, but Paul, Paul elaborate. Paul said even before the children were born, the, the, um, God made his decision before they were even born knowing to choose right or wrong. He made God, his no, decision. No, no, God, God foretold what they would do before they were born, and then we saw that acted out in their lives. But at the heart of this, you just said something. You said God is a respecter person, and Paul says God is no respecter person, so Peter actually says that. God, but whoever fears him from every people, he loves. If a person has faith in Jesus, that's what saves them. What does that mean that Jacob that I love, Esau that I hate? That meaning God do have a particular group of people that he loves. I don't want to be rude. I have to mute you just because I got 30 seconds left <laughs> and I want to be able to sign off. I, I hope and you're welcome to call again and we can finish this discussion, but the time's not going to allow it. Hey, friends, uh, I want to uh, give a special reminder to those who are listening on satellite radio right now that we'd encourage you to participate in revelation's final warning if you're watching on tv they may put that to add there it is up again special program begins this friday evening you can tune in on facebook you can also watch on amazing facts television it'll be on the uh, doug bachelor facebook page the amazing facts youtube channel we're going to be talking about the messages that go to the world just before Jesus returns. Now, those of you who are watching on TV or you're listening on the Internet, don't go away. We're signing off on satellite. We're coming back for some rapid-fire Bible questions that have come in via the Internet. Stay with us. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Okay, there you have it. We are back, friends. And for those of you who have stayed by, you're enduring to the end. We're going to be talking about some questions that have come in. All right. First question. When Satan is deceiving some people at the end of times, when he is telling everybody he is Jesus, can Satan duplicate Jesus' pierced hands? Well, I think he can. You know, he's called Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 says Satan 
is uh, can be transformed into an angel of light. He can create illusions. So if he's impersonating Christ, if he wants to impersonate a Christ that's got some kind of scars in his hands, that would probably be very impressive. What Satan cannot reproduce is coming in the clouds of glory. Uh, Jesus never touches the ground again when he comes. It says, we are caught up to meet him in the air. So anybody walking around on the ground that says that they are Christ, um, they're either demonic or, uh, or deluded, but do not follow any false Christ. Um, let me see here. Since Jesus is now in heaven at the right hand of God and no longer active on earth, he left us a comforter who is active. So we ask Jesus into our hearts, or is it the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts? Christ comes into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that I'm going, and it's expedient that I go. The Holy Spirit will come, and then he promises, I am with you everywhere you go. How is he with us? Through the person of God, the Spirit, we have the presence of Christ. Jesus says he will declare all things to you. The Spirit you know, gives us the very presence of Christ. You will sense Jesus with you in God, the Spirit, because God is one. Show me one unequivocal or equivocal sentence in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God and we must worship him. Well, there is no verse where he says, I am God, we must worship him. But it does tell about people worshiping him. You read in Hebrews where it says even the angels worship him. The, guy, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, we are to worship only God. Jesus must be God. The Bible says only God knows the thoughts of men's hearts. Yet Jesus knew people's thoughts. Jesus must be God. The Bible says there is one God and Savior. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus must be God. And you can read where he rose from the dead. He said, uh, all hail, and the disciples held him by the feet and worshiped him. He received that worship. Unless he was God, they were breaking the commandments of God. So yes, Jesus is God. He said in John chapter 8, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That's the same no name that Moses used, or God gave to Moses, rather. All right. Is there, let me say, is there a verse that says God gives us the freedom of choice? It says, choose you this day who you will serve in Joshua. Friends, we're out of time. Send us more Bible questions. You can email them to amazingfacts at Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.